This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show with Dr. D. Broadcasting from the HJL Hospitality and Evolved Studios in LA, Santa Barbara, AM 1290, KZSB, and FM 96.9, Santa Barbara, or somewhere from the road. He's opened and fixed more than 200 restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, and neighborhood joints around the globe. He's an industry driver, an author, and a columnist. He's a restaurateur with legendary rock star Mick Fleetwood on Fleetwood's On Front Street in Lahaina, Maui. And he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins. Once upon a time in Hollywood, there was a stuntman named Bob Williams. This is his story. I am so excited to have our very first stuntman on this show. Uh, I mean, I'm really excited. If you could see me, I'm I'm having a hard time sitting in my seat here in the studio. Been looking forward to this all day. Uh, Bob Williams, let me tell you a little bit about him. Bobby comes from authentic adventure stock in the Williams family who's to say what's possible Bob's dad was a drag racer mostly racing cars and motorcycles but I suspect the family car was transformed into a drag racer at certain times I'll have to confirm this with Bobby Uh, after I love this it just gives me summers about here you know it gives me this great um, image of the Williams family after they all watched Mr. Williams' drag race, they would head down to the post-race barbecue and fireworks display. I mean, doesn't that just sound Americana? Yeah. Bobby's grandfather was a professional athlete, boxing, wrestling, and football. And if Bobby gives me permission, he sent me a vintage uh, photo that I'd love to share with all of you when I post this show. In the photo, it's his granddad with Joe Lewis, Al, 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 Alex Ennis, and Billy Kahn in uh, World War II in England. There's also a great story of his granddad bear wrestling back in the day. Bobby's great-grandfather also went nine rounds with Jack Johnson, as the legend goes. And so it's in Bob's DNA to challenge himself and the friends around him and does he i went to his house very first time i met him i went to his house for dinner with his uh, life partner his love mariel hemingway the house is perched precariously on a high cliff on the edge of a canyon high above the pacific ocean in the malibu canyons i think is where they're it's at now, there's a, let me describe, in the back, there's a deck that overlooks this thing. I mean, I, I'm a little afraid of heights. And every morning, Bobby and Mario would do yoga as the sun ro- rose over a, I think Bobby built this this platform, if I am if I remember correctly. And I, I got vertigo just getting near the thing. <laughs> um, but the first thing I saw when I got out of my car, I should say I stepped over it, was Bobby's full-size Olympic quality wrestling mat. It looked like a helipad. <laughs> it was amazing. Bobby speaks his mind immediately. Some may find it brash. Some, though, like me, find his honestly really refreshing. There's nothing fake about Bobby. First thing he said to me, want to wrestle? <laughs> As he vigorously pumped my arm, basically out of its socket in a firm handshake. Bobby says the road less traveled isn't a road at all. It's stepping into the unknown in a world without any boundaries. And it springs from a myth from his deep roots in New York's East End, Long Island. He says, hey, what's the point of asking K-1 
can I do that? Bobby, Bobby simply says, okay, that's me. How do I get there? Maybe now and then his dreams collide with reality. Some sparks fly. But in the Williams family, they wouldn't have it any other way. Welcome, Bobby. How are you? That, 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 that came from a producer by the name of Michael Friedman out of Telluride, Colorado. Michael's a, a good friend of yours. Dude, he does all the Amangiri hotels. You know the Amangiri hotels? Yeah. yeah. So he, he does all of the, uh, he does all of the, uh, the, the climbing there for people, right? He sets up all the stuff and, and, and on all the ski mountains. Mike's, Mike's an amazing guy. You know, he's climbed with the really, Big people back in Yosemite starting the late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, Mike and I had a stint at doing a TV series, a TV series that we put together called Zero Limits. And, uh, and, uh, we never pulled the trigger on it. And it's come up several times in the, in the last bunch of years with a, a couple of, uh, producers and directors wanting to do it. And it's an outdoor adventure series where I get together with the greatest explorers, adventurers and athletes and I do what they do. So if I were to, get together with Leonard Hamilton. I'd live with him for a month. You'd get to know him. We'd become friends. And in, he'd teach me all the ins and outs of everything. And in the end, I would actually get on a 60-foot wave. Uh, you know, obviously, I'd put on a, a life vest and, and have a respirator. So when I'm held under for three or four minutes, I could just keep breathing. But I, I'm kind of a ringer because I could take a beating like that from all the things that I've done for a lot of years. But the show was that. It was speed climbing El Capitan, you know, with Peter Croft and going after the record. So you could see and feel what things are really like. But I, in the end, it's funny because it was back when Tito Ortez was fighting. I was going to go five rounds, uh, five minutes with him, like, but for real. So, the, you know, the, the producers are like, we're going to get Lloyd's of London uh, insurance for this. Yeah. And, Is there uh, enough? Well, Is there enough well, insurance? Well, yeah, I was going to do bull riding, astronaut training, really jump into a wildfire with the fighters, the firefighters. I had friends that were firefighters, so I'd really jump in, you know, jump out of the plane the whole bit. It did. It would have been – so it was – for me, it was reality. It was real reality TV that nobody else does. There's always like a – you know, when you look at uh, Bear Grylls, come on, man. Come on. What, yeah, come on. What do you – how can anybody be like, this is a – it's scary. What is? They're rappelling off of a rope and having a conversation. There's no <laughs> scary. You know, the really cool show is Mario, Mario is watching that show where people go into the wild for like three weeks and they have a little camera and they got to survive. It's like a survival show. Did you see this? These guys. No, like, no. Oh my God. There's like, I'm talking like 30 days, no food. And it's like zero degrees out kind of stuff. It was real. It was like, Okay, so one time they asked me to be on Survivor right in the beginning. Um, give you a name. The guy's name was Duke Heideck. He, he went by Brian Heideck. He won either the first or second Survivor and wanted me to go on because he won a million dollars. And when I sat down with the producers, because I'm like you said, I'm very forward and outspoken. I'm like, do you, <laughs> no. really, do you really think that I could be voted off this show? So you got to go through all the psychological stuff. And I'm way too aggressive for it. Brian was really smart. He was laid back and he calculated everything and he got his money. But I said, hey, listen, in the end, I don't want to be on the show. But this is what I would have done if I was on the show. You know how once in a while you go to islands? I would have asked to be on an island. I would have to be on an island. I had a very wealthy friend and I had military personnel friends. They would have came on the island, said that there was a coup, took everybody off the island except for one cameraman and me, and I would demand my money on live TV. I'm the last one here. You guys got to pay me. I know it's only been a couple of days, but everybody's gone, and I'm the last guy here. Where's my money? And by contract, they would have to pay. You got to see their faces. All their mouths were open. They were like, you know, because at the end of the day, climbing cargo nets and, you know, being voted off, it's not a real show. None of it's real. So I'm into reality. I I want to see the one. I want to yeah. see that show you were going to produce. I, what was the the title? Did you have a working zero, title? Zero limits. zero limits. Zero limits. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Bring it. Bring it back, Bobby. I'll, I'll watch that. I'm going to watch that. Uh, dude, dude. Yeah. I, I get banged up. I get my butt kicked, but I think it would be fun to. That's throw. why I want to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know what's going to happen. I want to see you get your butt kicked. Uh, yeah. Did I exaggerate at all, guys? I mean, Bobby, out of the box, bam, you're here like a like a hurricane. Uh, you grew up in Long Island, New York, and you were bo- in boxing gloves by three, is what you say. Oh, God, um, dude. First, first concussion, well, first concussion at, 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 by four years old, I was already being concussed by my brutal cousins. They would say that, uh, 
I, I, they were Muhammad Ali and I was Joe Frazier. And they would they'd put one arm behind their back and then tee off and crack me in the head when I came in. I'd be like out, out on my feet, hitting the ground. I was, was going to say, who are you boxing at three years old? And then what was that like when you were in preschool? Were you, were you popular or were you boxing the kids? <laughs> dude, dude, you're not going to answer that. <laughs> my, my cousins, my cousins were brutal. I mean, every grade you had to get an initiation of a beating to get tough for the next grade that you were going into. You know, so they'd grab a handful of hair and start beating you up and give you wedgies, kick your butt. Fighting went on twenty four seven in our neighborhood for for fun. I love this though. When you rode, you had your first motorcycle uh, at five. Your dad. Um, yeah. Yamaha, 1968 Yamaha. My dad, uh, my dad took all the lights off, put on a couple of knobby tires. See, in 68, they didn't have those little motorcycles for kids. You know, those little 50 50 cc's or 25. So he took a street, street legal bike, downsized it by, by just taking off all the, the, the stuff. And then to ride it, I couldn't reach the, uh, the shifter. My feet would be like on the, on the, each side of the engine and I have to lean my crotch over to shift. But my dad taught me the clutch, you know, the clutch and the brakes. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he rode behind me as I did it. And then he just let me go. And to come back, he told me pulling the clutch or let off on the throttle and he would grab the handlebars so that he could hold the motorcycle up for me to get off. And he followed me around like he'd run behind me as I'm going. And I kept going further and further away. I started shifting. It was amazing. You know, I, I, who puts a five-year-old kid on a motorcycle? I wasn't even riding a bicycle yet. Yeah, I see. I had a similar experience with my dad. He bought me an Italia jet. I don't don't even know if they make them anymore. I don't know what it was, but it was that like a little, little bike. And, um, I was scared to death. I couldn't, I think I could ride by then, but around in circles around, I could just go around. I could just turn. (laughs) So when I read that about you, I'm like, I mean, that's very similar. What was your experience like? I mean, I remember how I felt. Were you scared or is that not even in your DNA? Yeah, you're, no, you're you're scared all the time, and then you just see, you learn to face your fears. Everybody in the family has you facing your fears all the time. You just got to keep, you know, scared. Try to calculate the best you can, you know, and and you know, try not to fall and try not to do this. And try, you know, you, you, I had I had so many, I had over three hundred stitches as a kid. I, I did the math, you know. <laughs> I was always in the ER. Like my, I think my parents got white hair by that time they were in their late twenties with me. And nobody came by but from social services and wondered what was going on? No, nah, no, nah, there was none of that back then. You can, you can get it. My gym teacher used to smack you and kick you in the ass. Oh, you'll love the name of my gym teacher. You'll laugh so hard. Straight out of Vietnam, right? I meet this guy in 1969. You ready for the name? This is New York. This is as New York as it gets, whoever's listening. You're going to think I'm lying, but I am not. Tony Quintoni. That was his name. He wore a blue Adidas suit or a red Adidas suit. Blue sh- blue Adidas Tony sneakers. Those are the two outfits every year, year in and year out. And um, to this day, you could take three, 4,000 kids in all the grades over the years that he was our, our elementary school uh, uh, phys ed teacher. Everybody to this day is so happy that he disciplined them. That you, if you were sitting down, ADD back then was you're laughing and goofing off in a group while he's speaking or whatever you're doing. He would say, go outside, see the oak tree, run to the oak tree and come back. And it was like almost a half a mile round trip. And if you came back with a smirk on your face, he said, I didn't, t- I didn't say to stop. When he saw that you were miserable, he'd let you join the group again and you didn't talk to anybody. You were too tired to talk. He was the best. That's actually pretty smart because it's what you and Mary will talk about a lot about just getting out and getting like that, 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 uh, you know, bl- rush of blood and the, the fresh air and all that just changes your whole mindset, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't want to sit around all day and then, you know, no, listen no. To a lecture. I, I yeah. so football, I mean, what haven't you done really? I, I love to list it here. Um, real quickly, I mean, professional climber. Um, Stuntman stuff. We're going to get to that. High falls. Anything under forty feet? Oh my god! (laughs) Just anything under forty feet, I'll I'll do it. Yeah, when you start going above forty feet, it's it it starts turning into something else. Pretty much any stunt guy, provided that they get over their fear of heights, they can do airbag falls into forty. You know, but when you start getting higher, the risk starts becoming greater. You know, at forty. Yeah, forty and under, oh, you're you're okay. 
What does that feel? I mean, I want to, I don't want to jump too far ahead on the stunt on, cause I really want to hear all these stories of the stunt man life that you've led, but what does that feel like though? Like when you hit a, a bag at 40, is it, is it knocks the wind out of you or do you learn how? No, to- no, no, not at all. It's like a nice big pillow. It's really, really cool. Oh. Uh, Tony Snegoff, let me, Tony Snegoff, there's a name. He's, you can, <laughs> you'll see him on Facebook. He's still doing stunts. He's still teaching people. He's still working on sets. I would go to his house. And he had a 40 foot, you know, tower with different sets of steps. Like, you know, you get part of the way up the ladder. That's 20 feet. You'd start from 10, 20, 30 and 40 and you practice your falls. And, uh, the, the easiest fall is a header because you can see where you're going or you, you know, you, you, you go face, go face down and last second you turn and fold and land on your back with your arms and legs out. And you, you, you hit and it's like hitting a giant pillow that, that decompresses and you mm. got a big smile on your face. Like, let's do that again. You can't dive head first into it. You got to always land flat. That's kind of the drill. Mm. Are you an adrenaline junkie? You no, you know what how I figured you out about this? You know what I figured out about the adrenaline? Many people had said that and sort of accused me of being an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, and, it sounds uh, derogatory, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you love the feeling of all the energy that you have. You love the feeling when you're done with the day of doing stunt works or climbing or bull riding or whatever it is that I was doing, the feeling of complete calm and your nervous system is, is, is low key and you've done it. And all of a sudden you come down, your voice is like this. So I think you wanted to have that high in the adrenaline so you could get to this really peaceful place. And if you notice, well, you haven't been on the set, but you notice all the stunt coordinators are so laid back and so reserved because they've already done all these things and they keep everybody safe and they really understand everything. And maybe when they were younger, they were a little ramped up too, made some mistakes and everything, but they get to the point where you're, you're you just get into this place of like this zone and, 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 and what other people are panicked and emotional, the stunt guys are like, not a problem. This is what we'll do. They, you know, they said, everything that is so interesting you say that because i i would imagine to do what you do and what stuntmen do it could be extremely and is extremely dangerous but you probably go i can feel you go into you have to go into that calm and pull within and and focus and get razor sharp right to to make sure nobody gets hurt to make sure that you don't get hurt um and i I, do you think stuntmen are misunderstood i mean yeah i think you when you hear stuntman you think of just a daredevil really and and somebody that's puts their life on the line for you know to get these accomplish these amazing stunts but is it do you think the the stunt, stuntmen, to me the stuntmen are the glue that holds hollywood together they're they're really really let's face it at the end of the day go all the way back to the early 1920s and with if there are no stunts there are no films without the stuntmen the films don't exist and and they're pretty profound individuals i mean this this goes back to Buster Keaton and, and, and Chaplin, you know, yeah. those two guys doing their own stunts, but they were acrobats. Right. Then, you know, from 1925 to, to, to 1930, there were 55 deaths in Hollywood from doing stunts and over 10,000 injuries. And then there's, there, there were people like this guy, Yaki, uh, Canute, Yaki Canute. What a name, right? For a stuntman. <laughs> Dude, that guy broke Broncos at 11. He was breaking horses at 11 years old. This guy had grit. He was the guy. Raiders of the Lost Ark when, when, um, Harrison Ford goes under the truck and he's holding on to the, 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 uh, the whip. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yaki did that in like a sta- in in the movie a John Ford movie I think it was called Stagecoach with uh, John Wayne you know and, and doubling these kinds of guys he came up with that idea of the stunt now it was such a famous stunt it was done so well that in Raiders of the Lost Ark Spielberg gave that guy a credit right wow. he'd already passed in 1968 he's born in like 1895. But he came up with like an L stirrup and the L stirrup is when you do a prat fall off the horse to be dragged. There's like a release. So the horse doesn't get hurt. And so you don't get hurt and get dragged and die and break your back and all these things. So, you know, after all those deaths were happening that over that five years, men started getting together and women, there's really great women, stunt women as well, would get together and start making coming up with rehearsals, coming up with uh, new equipment, coming up with techniques to save horses, to save lives, to save injury. 
it got it got very serious, man. You know, to 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 get this stuff done as it should be. And are yeah. you a student? It sounds like you're a student of of stunt men and and the life of stunt women. That the whole industry. You, it sounds like you've really you know a lot about it, Bobby. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of uh, yeah, Jeremiah. A lot of years, man. Thirty years is a long time to be you know walking around um, doing that. But I was a, I was like a jack of all trades, right? Not great at anything, good at all things, which is good for a stunt guy because I could do all this stuff. And 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 so I've been on the covers of Men's Health, Men's Fitness, Men's Journal, right? I did Nike campaigns. Uh, um, so I had I, I could make money there. Um, and then I would do the stunt work, the high falls and the horses and the motorcycles and the cars and the fight scenes and all that stuff. I could make money there. Um, then I because of the way I looked, I was like chameleon. At, you know, I could be a cowboy like I'm sitting here right now. But Marlboro. You know, I, I mean, you're in a Marlboro man commercial, which is just yeah, yeah, that yeah. says it all. That says it all about you right there. Yeah, I, I, actually, I was I was actually uh, uh, who was I working with? Who's the director? Uh, how terrible this is this? Uh, who did Gladiator? Who's the director for Gladiator? Was it uh, Tony? Um, yeah, Scott? Tony Scott, Tony yeah. and Ridley and all of them, and 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 they got a they got a uh, they got a uh, uh, a nephew. You know, those are the guys that would interview you. You'd be in the room to be the Marlboro Man if you had the look great. They were going to hire, you, but they they would dude they would fuck with you. They'd be like, you gotta you gotta smoke three Marlboro Reds in in in, in less than five minutes. You know what that does to a guy who doesn't smoke? <laughs> They're hoping that you pass out on camera. And I would say to him, I know what you're doing. I said, it, it, it doesn't matter if I pass out. If I don't get the job, I come back here and I beat the shit out of all of you. <laughs> I'm not smoking cigarettes for free. You guys got to give me the gig. But, uh, yeah, I did a couple of cigarette campaigns back in the day. It's funny. When they went to go renew them, and I got to the point in my life where health was really that important, They would when they wanted to renew, you don't have to do anything. They just send you a contract you sign, and you get these big checks in the mail. I turned it down. I stopped. I said, "Yeah, I'm not doing this anymore." No more I said, "I'm not promoting cigarettes. It's it's bullshit." You know, Tom Selleck did it. There, a bunch of guys did did that stuff. It's what you do in the beginning. But I, I, you know, me doing the stunt work and being able to do commercials, I got to be the young dad. I got to be the cowboy. I got to be the lifeguard. I got to be the volleyball player, the rock climber, right? So you become this actor of all these thirty second spots. But they're putting money into these things. That Marlboro Adventure Team thing that you'll see on my reel when you look at Zero Limits, they spent $8 million on that, and there were 60 people on the set. That's that's a good budget for a wow. set for a two-and-a-half-minute film because that was just two-and-a-half minutes. And we uh, that was the best thing that I've ever done because the adventure part of the Marlboro team, it was called Marlboro Aventinor. So it was German, and it played in all the theaters ac- across Europe, and they were trying to get people – to join up for the Marlboro Adventure Team, to be able to come to the United States and go down the American River and go to Yosemite Valley and ride off-road. So in the commercial, I'll give you one of the stunts, six of us got in a raft, a six-ply boat. They were able to control the water and turn the dam up to Class 6, not Class 5 that everybody talks about. The guys in the boat were professionals, and they were like, never been on anything like this. I never even heard of Class 6. No such thing, right? But Jib Ellison, and, and you, the name is big. When we went down this tunnel chute and we'd hit this eddy and hit this one rolling area, it would crank on the boat so much that it would launch it into a wall. Six-ply boat would explode. <laughs> all of us would end up in the water. And all these professional kayakers would have to fish us out so we wouldn't drown. Oh one God. time I thought I was going to drown. The only reason I was able to get in that boat because I didn't have the professional – uh, background of being in the boat. This is where I'm like jack of all trades. Jib Ellison asked everybody on the set, famous climbers, Mark Wilford, Ron, uh, 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 Ron Kalk. If you look these names up, they're some of the best guys in the country in climbing. And he would say to me, why do you belong in the boat? I've been looking at all of these people. Hans Florine won the X Games six times. All, everybody on the set, why should I put you in the boat? And we went back and forth on a few things. But the last thing I said to him, the real reason why you need to put me in the boat versus these guys is I can hold my breath for four and a half minutes. Before I even finish the S on four and a half minutes, he's like, you're in the boat. Because he knew that I wouldn't drown because I could hold my breath for that long. <laughs> but we did 28 takes of this, right? 28 takes for each one that we got right, which oh, is about man. 20 of them. We got 500 bucks a piece. That's a lot hey. of that. Yeah, and, Good dude, money. It's awesome money. Now, that, that doesn't count uh, towards the shooting days, the residuals, these are all yeah. the bonuses you get. 
you know, if you do a really hard fall, like I did a couple of really high falls that were kind of tough off of a crane and you would get cranked your back. I did this Motrin commercial once and it only aired for one cycle because it was too brutal. And I ended the commercial, you know, hockey players getting it in the face with an elbow. And at the end, though, I did a free fall backwards. Right. And the rope would catch and my body would fold and like start to fold in half. And it's almost like my oh. feet were almost touching my, my, my head and all the vertebrae on my back were like, you know, I could feel it, you know, and, uh, did it, did a, did a bunch of those, but I got paid 10 grand to do it. Was it worth it? No, because I had a couple of bulging discs from just doing that stunt. It was, it was rough. It was man. really rough. Yeah, the life of a stunt man, the stunt man. This is the episode. Uh, that's what I'm calling it. I'm calling Bobby the stunt man. That's this, uh, episode we're doing right now. I got to take a quick break. Bobby, hold on there. Uh, what a, what a ride, man. What a life you lived. Uh, Bob, let me tell you about it. Bob, because Bob Williams is a nutrition expert, world-class adventure athlete. He's a stuntman, an actor, and a practicing intuitive, uh, intuitive healer with deep ties to the world of alternative medicine and the raw food movement. He has been in the world of health and wellness for 25 years. Bobby spends summers guiding thousands of people through the wilderness in places like Exum and the Grand Tetons and Yosemite, helping people connect with nature and ultimately themselves. He's passionate about transforming people's lives by improving their performance and their overall health through nature, nutrition, healthy living, and adventure. We'll be right back. all kind of things other than alcohol. Hmm. Really? Like what? Women. Nacho Grande Platters. The fellowship of some fascinating individuals like Warren here. <laughs> uh, alcohol is just a lubricant for all the individual encounters that a barroom offers. Ooh. Is that cowboy wisdom? I'm not a cowboy, Pam. I'm a stuntman. But that's a very easy mistake to make. Hi, I'm Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on The Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi there, everybody. This is Ann Heach. Hi, I'm Mariel Hemingway. And you're listening to The Jeremiah Show. Please visit me at MarielHemingway.co or the All for One Club and join the Barefoot Challenge. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com. Well, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell. But I've been seen with fire up I've never been with anything less than a nine So fine I've been on fire with Sally Field Gone fast with a girl named Bo But somehow they just don't end up as mine 
It's a death-defying life I lead I take my chances I die for living in the movies and TV But the hardest thing I ever do Is watch my leading ladies Kiss some other guy while I'm bandaging my knee I might fall from a tall building I might roll a brand new car Cause I'm the unknown stuntman That made Redford such a star Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show, uh, the stuntman, Bobby. Bobby, my special guest, Bobby Williams, is the stuntman. And I'm so excited to have him on the show because we've never had a stuntman. And obviously, he's a, an amazing uh, gentleman here, an amazing character. He's, he's so much fun to talk to. He's got a million stories. We're going to try to get a couple more in here. Tell me about the Olympics. I know you're in and, and wrestling, Bobby. You, you are a world-class wrestler. Well, I started wrestling when I was a kid. Um... Seven years old, I started wrestling. My grandfather was a professional wrestler, right? He went at, back in the day, he went as the Smith brothers. They had the, they looked like the guys on the cough drops with the big black beards. So he, he and this other guy, they, they were called the Smith brothers. I mean, he taught people, anybody who's listening, Bruno Sammartino and, and those guys, he taught them how to wrestle. He was in a movie, I forget the name of the movie with Danny Kay. He's, he's in that movie. Uh, he palled around with uh, Joe Lewis and Billy Kahn. Joe Lewis being the heavyweight champion, Billy Kahn being the light heavyweight champion. He was a pretty amazing guy. Uh, at 14 or 15 years old, he traveled across the country on an old on an old train uh, to get to Oregon and 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 California border to be a lumberjack. Uh, he would sleep on top of cattle. He told me he'd run out of the cattle cars, and the cattle cattle were part, you know put in so tight that in the cold places he would be nice and warm because he'd be laying on their backs. You know, a lot of the stuff my grandfather told me, I'm like, he can't be telling the truth, but he was. When he yeah. talks about wrestling bears, and we, so we get to the wrestling, I'm like, no way. And there he is at the state fair. My grandmother's got pictures of a camera overhead, black and white, of my grandfather in the oh, ring with the bear. When he, yeah, when he told me the story, um, he told me it's so so sort of uh, transparently and vivid, it almost had to be true. He named the bear. He goes, yeah, I wrestled with this female bear. She weighed about 400 pounds. Her name was Clarabelle. And I was like, you wrestled a girl? And he goes, well, you can't wrestle male bears. He's like, they're too aggressive and they'll hurt you. He said, you know, we, we you give her treats. And when she's done, she'd just knock you across the ring because she could. But he told me about it. And then I saw pictures of it. Dude, it, amazing. You know, my grandfather wrestling a bear. And his, he got a little bit of Hollywood and, and, and the adventures of him. And, you know, my grandmother would say to me, out of Brooklyn, my grandmother of Brooklyn, you're just like your grandfather. You're just <laughs> Look at you. You're just like your grandfather. She would say it all the time. Oh, look at you. Always outdoors. Look at you. Look at your muscles. And, you know, she'd always be like, make a muscle. When I was like four or five years old, and making muscles for my grandmother. It was just so awesome. Such a great family. So, uh, so the wrestling, the wrestling, my cousins all wrestled. I wrestled. There were a um, total of five boys. Um, um, you know, uh, wrestled all through high school and, uh, wrestled in college and wrestled some really tough guys in college and junior college. And then I got, I started getting gigs in, in the modeling. And uh, I think my first gig was at an exercise equipment, Cybex pull, doing a lap pull down. Right. So I'm pull, pulled the thing down, did that for like 45 minutes and they paid me 600 bucks. And I was like, wow, that was the easiest money I've ever made. So I kept doing that and the money kept growing within two years of doing this modeling thing while I was going to college and, and wrestling. Uh, I, I bailed because I ended up on, in Las Hadas, Mexico with the Victoria's Secret models as the token guy in the background, you know, by the swimming pool. And I was getting paid a thousand dollars a day. I'm like, do I stay in college? Do I do this? And dude, I had to take the gig. I stayed with the gig. Where are the jobs like that now? <laughs> oh my God. Well, I, uh, people are like, what? And, and you know, the photographer would take Polaroids of this, right? Here's yeah. a Polaroid of you and so and so. I'd bring these Polaroids back to my construction buddies because I used to build houses on the east end of Long Island. And they'd be like, dude, do you work with this girl? You know, right away they're asking me if I had sex with her. I'm like, no, it doesn't work. They're like, what are you, gay? You know, my, my idiot friends that I grew up with, I would have I would have done anything to do it, you know. So anyway, that, that stuff went on back, back to the wrestling. I wrestled through the summers. I wrestled tournaments after college and uh -huh. continued to do this other stuff. But I loved the, the, the grappling, you know. And, yeah. uh, and in 1992, 
I met somebody who won the NCAAs named Rico Ciparelli out of Iowa. And if anybody knows about wrestling, Dan Gable's the man as a wrestling coach. And Dan Gable's one of the greatest wrestlers ever. Only lost one match in his life and won a gold medal at the Olympics in 72. And uh, nobody scored a point on him. Nobody's ever done that before and since. So he's an amazing guy and he trained really hard. So Rico's going to Iowa, right? He attended there. And, uh, and he, and he said he's going to the Olympic trials. Now I was in brilliant shape. I, you can see a couple of those pictures on that site. Like the one ripped one went in the black and white. I'm 198 pounds there and I got 2% body fat. So I asked I don't, Rico, I don't believe they're you. Oh, uh, no, nah, dude. It's crazy. So, so, so no, listen, I don't want to wrestle, by the way. I don't want to wrestle. <laughs> I believe you. I'll be coming after you. I'll let you wrestle Marielle. She's pretty tough. So, so, so I go to the trials. I go to the trials. Uh, before I get there, I trained for six weeks in Iowa and I wrestled some of the best guys in the world, in the world. One guy won the Pan Am, second in the world, two NCAA titles. And I got to grapple with guys like this. And I beat this one guy with Gable refing the match. And he was one of the best guys on the team. And that's all I needed for validation that I knew that I was as tough as these guys and I could wrestle like them. They're wrestling 300 days a year. I was the only guy there with a tan. Like I had a tan, no cauliflower ears. They were calling me California Bob. You know, it was really funny. Uh, but, but, you know, I still grapple today. I love it. I go down and roll with some guys that are black belts in jujitsu and you learn a lot from them too. And you respect both sports and it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. I got a friend really quickly and I know we're getting close. I got a friend named, uh, David Sutcliffe. He's on uh, Instagram. Uh, his recommendation for people, you know, you do that psychotherapy stuff with Mariel, right? Positive mental health and all that. David now, Gives a prescription for jujitsu, six classes. If you're depressed, then come back and see me rather than I've medication. And, and every single person he's had go to jujitsu has human contact, hangs out yeah. with his people, sweats, moves, goes for like, you know, something to eat afterwards. They all come back with smiles on their face saying this is the greatest thing ever because they had human connection. So this heard, is yeah. amazing. It's amazing. I heard that. That sounds great. You so give out his name one more time so people can check David that out. Sutcliffe, David Sutcliffe. David Sutcliffe. Uh, on Instagram. He's hey, he's on there every day. I keep hearing about jujitsu and how the things that you just mentioned that it's just the greatest and, and the greatest for that as well for your your health and your mental health and just agility and the whole thing movement. But Bobby, Actually, yeah. one more thing with David Sutcliffe. He was the uh, boyfriend on the Gilmore Girls. That that was his oh, acting. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah, looking guy. He's out of Canada. Right? Dave's a great guy, man. Wait till you listen to him. You'll go on I'll, Instagram and look I'll, him up. You'll be like, I'll this throw, guy's straightforward. You know, he really gets it done. Yeah, man. I'll throw his uh, Instagram up in, in this promo when we put the show up so people can awesome. find him. Um, but Bobby, I mean, we do have to take a break right now. And if you can give me just a a a, a, a you know one liner or whatever here, you're. You're full of life, man. You're full of life. Every time I've met you, you get the same thing out of you. And you are, you're out there doing it. You're out there looking for new challenges, new things. Do you think that started from that, that young kid that the cousins and the dad and everybody pushed and that just be, was, or is it, is there another secret to you and your, I mean, no, this is longer than one sentence for an answer, but is there a secret to, to, to your happiness, to your, uh, what drives you? Because it's it's pretty unique, I think, and and it's contagious. I love this place. I love life. When Marilyn and I were on Oprah, you'll love this. We're on Oprah, and she said, "What?" It's so funny. You're asking the same question. She said, "What moves you more than anything?" She says that to me, mm-hmm. and I said, "It might be inappropriate for me to talk about what moves me more than anything." She laughs. She goes, "Seriously, I'd really like to know what moves you more than anything." I said, "This place." Who we are as human beings, what we're capable of doing is nothing short than, than, than amazing. I go, this place is fucking amazing. She stands up and she goes, fucking amazing. This is on Super Soul Sunday. Dude, she high fives me. I go, what are the odds of all of us being there? She goes, the sperm and the egg. I go, 40 million to one. She slaps me five. I slap her five back. We have these great, co- none of that made it onto the real, right? There's no <laughs> cursing and. But I mean, dude, Oprah saying fucking amazing and high fiving and slapping me. It was, it was amazing. So, so I'm excited about life. Think about this place, right? Think about the trees and the communication and how the wind blows and, you know, it rains, it snows, there's ground. We come from the earth. You get to go to the mountains, jump in the ocean. You get a sunrise, the moon, the stars, the universe. Dude, this place is insanity. So when people talk about heaven, it's heaven on earth. If you get together with like-minded people and you go out to do these things. 
And I love the adventure, you know, and I love getting out there in the, the, the earth and all of its amazing stuff. I mean, I love it. I love it. I can't stop. Um, I love that uh, answer. What a great answer. We'll be right back. We're with Bobby Williams, the stunt man. Bob Williams. We'll be right back. <laughs> well, Pam, which way are you going? Left or right? Right. Ah, uh, that's too bad. Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left, too, and if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're going to have to start getting scared immediately. Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio. The Jeremiah Show airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday. Core Radio dot rocks. Hi, I'm Andras Jones from Radio 8 Ball, and you're listening to The Jeremiah Show, and I'm so excited that they are being so supportive of my new record, All You Get. Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. We're back with the Jeremiah Show. the jeremiah show bobby williams bob williams the stuntman uh we're hearing a little bit about the stuntman we're hearing a lot 
a lot about the life that this, this guy lives. It's uh, it's really inspiring, Bobby, and and I've had so much fun with you. We got to do more of these, um, because uh, I, I when we go when we leave next break, I want you to pay tribute if you could to some of the stuntmen that you admire, or because I I really do believe that what you said there wouldn't be movies in Hollywood without stuntmen, and I, you guys don't get enough credit. You don't get enough spotlight shine on you, and I know you you're a, you're a gentleman who shines the spotlight on others and shares it. So I, uh, we'll, we'll do that. But I got to ask you, you know, Mariel Hemingway, I, I don't know how the right terminology, but love of your life. Right. And, and how yeah. did you guys meet? I just, I think we met on a, we, I was dating a, a, a really a pretty yoga instructor, really nice girl, really smart. And uh, within two weeks of dating, and I'm real slow out of the gate. I don't trust anybody that I'm with. Like we haven't slept together where some people get together right away. I don't do that. I'm the guy that takes forever. I'm a serial monogamous like my dad. It takes me forever to get in the relationship and forever to get out of the relationship. I've had relationships up to seven years and not married, right? Most of my relationships are three or four years through my life and then long breaks of me growing and whatnot. But with this girl that, that, that I was with, she's like, you need to meet Mariel Hemingway. And I was like, but aren't, aren't you and I dating? And she goes, well, you check. I'm like, I'm like, she's like, yeah, but you guys are exactly alike and you need to meet each other. <laughs> and I knew it was a mistake because nine months earlier, I tried to meet her at a water conference. And at this water conference, my buddy was saying, Hey, um, this water's great. He was going to call on me in the audience and say, this is Bobby Williams. He's an Olympic wrestler. He rock climbs. He this, he that Bob, tell us your experience about the water. So he's going to give me an introduction. Mariel will sit in the audience. I'd get a free intro that gave me, you know, confidence to walk up to her. She knows who I am and I don't have to talk about myself. And then I could ask her out. That's what I was going to do. It was planned out. Dude, two minutes before she, the guy calls on me, she gets up and leaves because she was cold. <laughs> I find out nine months later. But when this girl introduced us, we looked at each other when I got out of the car and she got out of, I got out of my truck. She got out of the car. And I swear to you, it's as if we've known each other forever. I had to look the other way. I, I put my head back in the car and grabbed one of my hats. And I was like, this is going to be trouble. And she was thinking the same thing. We hiked for three hours. This other girl couldn't keep up with us. We were moved, bounding up the mountain so fast. And we had a great time and talked. We became friends. My relationship with this girl didn't work out over the next couple of months. I even introduced Meryl to a couple of really good friends of mine, thinking they'd be great guys for her to date because I really liked her. And my buddy said back to me, the last guy said to me, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what am I doing with what? You and Marielle belong together, not me and Marielle. And we ended up, uh, I had a break with this girl. A couple of months later, Mariel was up in Ketchum Sun Valley, Idaho, and she says she calls me up and she says, "What are you doing?" Uh, and it's it's like it's like today, it's today, it's May, it's tomorrow's our anniversary. It's such a weird question you asked me. So Happy I said, anniversary. "Yeah." So she said, "Why don't you come up to Sun Valley?" And I said, uh, "I thought to myself, Sun Valley, California, right? She's out in the valley." I'm like, "What are you doing out there?" And, and that place is like junkyards and stuff. Maybe there's a golf course out there. And she said, this is where I come every summer. And I was like, okay, well, how long will it take me to get there? She's like, 13 hours. I'm like, where are you? She's like, Sun Valley, Idaho. I was like, oh. I go, all right, yeah, I'll leave in, uh, I'll leave in like an hour. Dude, I jumped in my car, slept in Bishop, up in the mountains in Bishop, California, a place called the Buttermilks at about 7,000 feet. That's about six hours. And then I did another eight hours to get there. We've been inseparable ever since. I mean, we spent like 40-something days together in the row when we first got together. It was insane. We do nothing but laugh and love one another. We have our conflict like everybody. If it was easy all the time, probably wouldn't be a relationship. But I laugh at her. I'm like, I can't figure her out. She can't figure me out. And I'm like, we have a 90% great relationship, 10% we have to work on because she's a girl. She's emotional. I'm such a guy guy. She's such a girl girl. And we help each other and lift each other up so so much and so well. So, And then last thing you, you're going to ask me, you want me to give you a, a couple of tributes to favorite stunt guys. Terry Leonard, Terry Leonard, uh, was, uh, was, was the character that Bruce, uh, that Bruce, that Brad Pitt played in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, so he was an amazing guy, did a lot of stuff with Burt Reynolds and he's such a low key guy. Brad's character was that guy. You know how good he was? Like a good person wouldn't have sex with the young girl in the car, stood by his friend, backed everything up, kicked people's asses that needed it, all that stuff. That's, that, that's Terry Leonard. So, Big shout out to Terry because he's done many, many things. And that guy, Yaki Knut, that I started with, he actually got a uh, an Academy Honorary Award. I think he's the only guy that ever did for all the greatness that he did. 
And then there's the late Gene LaBelle. Uh, people talked about he was a grappler and uh, Ronda Rousey's uncle and all this stuff. He's a guy that if you heard these rumors, which are true from what every everything I know, I wasn't there. He choked out Steven Seagal for being a punk by hitting all the other uh, stunt guys on the set. He choked him out. And Gene LaBelle's five foot eight, five foot nine, six foot four. But this guy was strong as a house and just grabbed, took him to the ground, choked him out and left him there in a puddle of piss and crap. And that's 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 the true story. You can you can look that up online. You can't believe the stuff that people say about that. So, you know, if somebody's being a bully, it's a great thing to actually take the bully down. We'll be right back. We're with Bobby Williams, the stuntman. Bob Williams, we'll be right back. Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. Hi, this is Carol Swarbrick. Check out Miss Lillian, More Than a President's Mother. It's a wonderful film, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. And I am so pleased to bring you back to the Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. We're with the great Bob Williams, Bobby Williams, the stuntman. By the way, all the music in this show were inspired by Bobby. Almost all of it he he chose and he picked, and I I really love it. Um, Bruce Springsteen, New Jersey boy. Come on, man. There's yeah. nothing better than the boss. That guy's a badass. Nothing better than the boss. Uh, Bobby, what are you working on before we say goodbye to you and let you go? Uh you got anything coming up? Any films? Any any projects? I got a, I got a great series that I, I got a great series that I'm working on, and uh, and I'm excited about that. I think that it will be in pre-production before the end of the year. That's my comeback. But I, I got into aerospace medicine and uh, built this chamber called Stratosphere ATC, which everybody's going to see. Um, I'm launching it in two weeks, um, so. Stand by for that. I can tell you a little bit more about that. We get together. This is going to reverse the aging process on everybody. The Mayo Clinic's done all the studies. The U.S. Navy and Air Force are using it. We're going to get together with uh, some NASA guys. And uh, I want everybody to know that longevity and health and wellness and quality of life are coming exponentially. 75 is going to be happier life, man. And it's going to go further than that. So... It's uh, it's pretty cool. I feel like we're going to take Father Time into the later rounds, even though he's undefeated. I'm gonna, I, I'm hoping that this machine does everything that we think it's going to do, and uh, and it gets rid of you know a whole host of diseases and age related things that cause everybody pain and suffering in the end. Also, it'll make super athletes without drugs and make people better mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually in the end. Stratus for ATC. Uh, we're going to be working with the likes of uh, Dr. Bruce Johnson out of the Mayo Clinic, Rudolph Tanzi, over on the other side there. He's the head team doc, New England Patriots, but also the head of neurology, anti-aging at Harvard. So this chamber is as crazy as I am and Hollywood and all this stuff. This chamber is with the highest or the, the upper echelon of people that are making a difference in the world. Rudolph Tanzi is considered top 100 most influential people uh, it, it, you know, in the 21st century, he's looking for cures for Alzheimer's. I, 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 I was always the commodity in what I did, so I had to take care of myself. 
and I'm just taking it deeper and want everybody else to be able to take care of themselves and be better and healthier and not not suffer. In the end, like I said, everybody suffers, whether it's your mom, your dad, your grandparents, you know, your dog, your pet. And I think that we're supposed to get around that somehow. And if we all come together, I think that uh, that's going to happen. And you can see this stuff on Instagram and all these platforms where a lot of like-minded people are, are raising consciousness and wanting to have better qualities of life. There's no retiring at 65 and, and tapping out at 75, man, man. I mean, I'm thinking 300. Come on. Let's keep pushing the envelope. But turning cartwheels at 100 would be amazing. Bobby Williams. Bob Williams, the stuntman. Uh, we're hearing a little bit about the stuntman. We're hearing a, lo- a lot about the life that this, this guy lives. It's uh, it's really inspiring, Bobby, and, and I've had so much fun with you. We've got to do more of these. We'll, we'll be in touch, my friend. Communicate, but listen more and evolve. Have a great week, everybody. We met on the set of this big picture that she made. She liked her guys a little greasy neath her pay grade We headed down to Baja in the desert and made our stand a year Figured maybe together we could get the broken pieces to fit Drive fast, fall Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. I love you. I love It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.